Welcome to the Willow Valley Podcasting Channel, where exciting podcasts are created by Willow Valley residents, for Willow Valley residents, and about Willow Valley residents. Good morning, everyone. My name is Don Heelan, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast this morning. My guest is a terrific guest that we're going to enjoy. It's Bill Davis. And Bill, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you very much, Don. We're so glad you're here. Now, I was just lucky. I met Bill through a mutual friend, my friend Dan Cooper. Bill, I was fascinated by your stories of World War II and the landing on D-Day. And I think many of all our friends here at Willow Valley would be interested as well. I'd be remiss if I didn't welcome his beautiful wife, Monty. We are so glad that you're here with us and welcome. Bill, when we first talked, you began your story that you were drafted in 1943 and headed off to Fort Sill, Oklahoma for your basic training. Could you start your story there at Fort Sill? You obviously were trained, I believe, as a forward observer. And what happened after you left Fort Sill? What happened, I, I want to back it up just a little bit. Sure. When we went to Fort Sill, we had a specified amount of time we were going to get in artillery pieces. As time went along, the powers that be over in Europe said, hey, we want the bodies over here now. And that cut right into our basic training. But that didn't matter. Out we came. I got 10 days at home with my parents. And then we got on a boat, a British boat. And we came all the way over to England. And we got out in England. And they took us directly to this camp. I, I'm not aware of any name to it, but it was full of replacements for the so-called dead and wounded. And uh, they covered all different types of weaponry. Artillery happened to be one of the pieces. So we got there. We stayed there. We did practices of different types. And we were getting ready to go. And it was all set to go in at on uh, June the 5th. But uh, the, the channel was really worked up on the 5th, and the powers that be didn't want to go then. And Eisenhower, I heard roundabout, was upset that he was being put off. So he, he said in so many words, all right, you can wait until the 6th, but there won't be any more delays. I don't care what you or the channel says. So it was delayed a day. And, and while it was delayed, I imagine you, what, had to stay on the boat or could you get off or how was that? Well, we were offered the chance to get off the boat, but most of us were all situated at that time. And like myself, I said, oh, leave me alone. Gripes, it's only a day. So... That's what they did. They let us on, if you, if that's what you wanted. Yeah, sure. 
And so when when did you start out from uh, that place? We, for- start, we started out, of course, after the main group had left to land on the, on the D-Day shore. Uh, we were replacements, as I mentioned, and the word came out that the original B battery, which was going to land, when they came getting near shore, unbeknownst to them, the Germans had mined that area. Oh, oh. And when they came in, they hit these mines and it blew the daylights out of a major part of them. And they immediately sent out a, a wounded sign, get these replacements over here. And that was the sign for us to come. So we left immediately and we went in a boat, got over close to shore. And at that point, they told us we were going to get off the boat into one of these landing crafts. You might say, what's a landing craft? Well, it's one of these boats that can hold maybe 20, 25 people. And when you get to so-called shore, it drops the front end down. And you walk down that front end and onto the land. And that's what we we got into. As you left the boat to go to the landing craft, you had to walk down a rope ladder. Is that true? Oh, yeah. We had a... That's how we got down into this boat yeah. landing craft. We had to come down that that rope ladder because they wanted to bring down so many, and uh, they didn't want to waste time with a a single ladder. I guess you had to be careful so you didn't get your foot trapped between the boat and the landing craft and all that sort well, of stuff. That and the fact they didn't want you to lose your grip neither, because that wouldn't be <laughs> yeah. healthy. So a number of us came down, and I don't know whether you've ever seen these rope ladders. They have a number of squares on them, and you just come down on the squares, place your feet below you, and then come down and get into the landing craft. Now you're in the landing craft, and uh, the driver of the landing craft takes off, and he's supposed to take you all the way up to the beach. But did you run into a problem with a sandbar? Had to drop you off a little early? I, I oh, know. yeah. They they had to leave us off early. And in doing so, it didn't work out the way they had planned. So what they had to do is, at the sandbar, they had to drop this, this landing uh, device yeah. for us to walk off. Well, that sounded good on paper. But as we came walking ashore off the boat, I, being in the height that I am, <laughs> all of a sudden found myself up to my chest in water. Oh, boy. So I had to walk in in the water to get the shore. Now, I just happened to have the, the good or bad luck of being the first one to shore. And when I got there, there was nothing going on. So... This was counter to what I expected. But then I saw one person seated, and I went and walked up to him and said, what do we do? Here we are. Well, son, he says, they dropped you off at a bad place. And he says, you should have been at another location, and you aren't. But you are here, and what you'll do is go down here about a quarter of a mile, 
the sand dune stops, you're going to walk over the sand dune and and continue until you come to a bunch of military police, the MPs. They're constructing a stockade to hold the captured Germans, which they were anticipating. Uh, okay, good. So give them a hand for today. Tomorrow, your equipment, tanks with 105s mounted on them, will be here, and you can take off and do what you're supposed to do. Okay, that sounded all right, all right to me. Well, now, he sounded like he knew what he was talking about. Did you ever find out who that was? Yeah, and around him, I, I didn't appreciate who he was, but looking at him, he, he had the face of a face that had been driven over by a car <laughs> or something. But it looked terrible, but I found out he was our second in command of the 4th. That was your division, right, Bill? 4th Infantry Division. And he was second in command, and this was uh, Roosevelt. Brigadier General Theodore Roosevelt. Isn't that something? And he said, I'm sorry about that. What can I say? Here we are. we got to do something. (laughs) And that's what we did for that day. We walked down, went over the top, and and finished working with the MPs. So... Go ahead, Bill. We had to stay there that night, the next morning early. We got up. Our tanks with the 105s on them had landed. And uh, those that be got, got up and manned those things, they were all ready to go. And, of course, uh, my buddy and I, we were part of a forward observer team. There's only uh, two of us per team. And... Uh, he carried a radio pack on his back, and I had the phone and a map. Okay. And that's how we functioned. So, so you were actually moving with the infantry to provide support, and then you yeah. would radio back yeah. to the artillery so the they'd know where to shoot. I would tell them to send up one shell. Let me see where it lands. Okay. And based on where it landed, I can direct it if it wasn't where it should be, how they should move it. Around left. one way or the other. Right. And, and that's what they did. Now, as you move forward, uh, wh- where did you go? Was it, Did I hear it was St. Yeah. Mary Aglis? Yeah, you- well, what happened, it was obvious you're not going to land all the tonnage yeah. that they're going to need. The, the way we came in, they needed a port, and the nearest port was Cherbourg. Okay. Now, that's out Cotentin Peninsula. And we had to go out on that peninsula and capture that that uh, port. Well, the Germans knew that, and they occupied that peninsula, and we had to fight our way out, fight it out, and get to the peninsula end. And when we did, we had a big fight there, and that stopped, and we took over that port. It was in great shape, and it needed to be used immediately. And this was so General Patton could land his well, tanks? And- he landed, but he couldn't do anything because of these stockades that the the uh, the farmers had built for their animals to stay in. Okay. It was terrible, the land, the fighting there. It favored the defensive team, the Germans. And we had to fight them all the way up. And we had to... Keep on going until we got to a town called St. Lowe. 
Once were we, these hedgerows, I think I heard? Oh, call? yeah. I, I they, understand they were almost impossible. They were really designed for, for a defensive outfit, really. Not knowingly, but that's what that turned out to be. And we had to push like mad, and we incurred a lot of injuries. Yeah, I bet. In that type of fighting. Absolutely. So we finally pushed the Germans out. We got up to the end, and right at the end, there in front of us was a big, the start of a big plain of land. Okay. No more hedgerows. Oh. And that's where Patton was going to bring his armor, turn it loose on that land. But before they did that, they wanted to have the Germans pulverized as best we could. So what they did... Uh, they got Jimmy Doolittle, head of the Air Force, uh, the Eighth Air Force. He came over, and he brought a thousand planes with them. That must have been some sight. Right, sake, you look up, you figure, thank God they're on our side. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because what happened though? It came back to bite us. Once they started dropping their bombs, it got so dusty, dirty, and smoky. The, the bombers couldn't tell the good guys from the bad guys. Oh, boy. So once they start dropping it, that landed all over the place. And here we were in the front line with the army, the infantry. Because so you were a forward observer trying yeah, to we give were them support. With the infantry. Sure. So what we did is we jumped into the culvert nearby to try to, it was a dirt road and the culvert on both sides. And we jumped in there to protect ourselves, but the, the the bombs they dropped were so big, they actually caused our bodies to... <laughs> was those 1,000-pound bombs or something like that? I, I yeah. have no idea the way... Boy, but they were big ones. Very big. And they actually lifted our body in the air. Well, when my body was in the air one time, <laughs> I felt I got hit with a bunch of stones. I didn't know that. They weren't stones. They were shrapnel. Oh, so ouch, ouch. The shrapnel whacked me in the, in the leg below my knee and between my knee and foot. Oh, wow. So we, we laid there for a, a little bit, and then my partner said, let's get out of here, Bill. And I said, I agree. Fortunately, so, you found one of the biggest guys you could find to be your partner. Well, you had to because he was carrying this pack on his back. So he was going to lead the way out, and I stood up to go with him, and I found out I couldn't move my foot. Oh, man. My, my, my leg was dead, and I told him, I can't move. I said, why don't you go? I'll just stay in the ditch. He said, nothing doing. He picked me up, <laughs> oh, put bless me on him. his back, bless him. <laughs> and he walked me about maybe a quarter of a mile down the road where there was a first aid station. Now, once we got there, they did a quick look at us, us and, and they told me they felt pretty sure my bones had been damaged, but they couldn't tell. They didn't have any x-ray. So what they did is they took us down to a nearby airfield and put us on airplanes while still in our cot. If you can imagine these things <laughs> on top of each other. And the plane they used was one I remember 
back in the United States during peacetime, uh, using it for passenger. It was called a DC-3. Okay. That's a popular plane then. Sure. And they were down there. They loaded us on that, flew us back to England. And once they landed us in England, depending on what your problem was, determined on where you went. So we ended up going to a suburb of London. When you went in there on the outside of this little town, that's where the Americans had built this uh, surgical hospital. And we went in there and they took one look and they said, we'll take care of you tonight. They operated 24 hours a day. Oh, wow. So they took me in, got rid of my old clothing, got cleaned the mud off me and what have you. And then they took me in and put me under uh, the ether. And that's when they reset the bone in my my leg. Good. And in, in fact, if I could stand on this table, I could actually show you this scar it's their biggest can be. Oh, wow. But anywho, they operated on me. They did their thing. And that was the tail end of July. And I remained there until the beginning of December. That's there in, in England then. Right, in that same hospital. And that was about four months. You kind of helped out administrative duties? Well, I couldn't move that whole lot. Oh, that's right. So they gave me supports on my leg, and I had uh, crutches to walk around and get around. Gradually, I got better. Then they put me in wheelchair and wheeled me around, and the nurses there were great. <laughs> I bet they, they were. They, they, they took care of me great. Yeah. So finally, I got to the point where I could walk, and the doctor told me early on, he says, Bill, I don't care what you say, you're not going back to combat no. anymore. No. You're going to be in jobs not involving uh, shooting. You paid your price. Yeah. I understand you were able to keep part of that shrapnel. Is that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I asked the doctor when they did the operation. I said, if you find anything in there like that, would you please don't throw it away? I'd like it as a memento. And he, he gave me a couple of pieces. And uh, I brought them back with me. Uh, Did you put them up on the wall or no, something? No, no. <laughs> I put them all in a, a big plastic container. In fact, Dan has it now. And uh, the shrapnel's in there. And there's a funny thing, uh, an odd one, uh, and not funny. One of the shrapnel pieces actually pierced my metal helmet. Oh. And it hit my scalp, and it, it dug and stuck in my uh, scalp. And uh, I mentioned it uh, to some of these doctors, and after a while, they they searched, found it, and they pulled it out. It was, oh, just a little thing. But I'm glad that's as far as it went. Oh, can you imagine, you know, yep. that helmet? Yep. <laughs> that would be another fun thing to save. This 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 helmet kept me able to think. Yep. And I, uh, of course, I... I didn't keep the helmet, but no, I understand. The pieces of shrapnel, though. Yeah, I I did. Now, did I did I hear that they awarded you the the Purple Heart for oh, your injuries? Oh, uh, while we were in the hospital, anyone wounded 
got the Purple Heart, and they came down and passed them out to different people. And yeah. I brought mine back with me, and that's in the collection with the shrapnel. Uh, well, congratulations on that Purple Heart. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm glad that they were awarded, able to award it to you, yet you were able to leave. One item. Later on, I, I found out who that, that gentleman was that met us at the beach. It was uh, Roosevelt. Yes. And he had a heart attack and passed away. Isn't that something? Because yeah. I remember I saw the movie D-Day about three times. Oh, and did it, you? Yeah, it had him in there, you know, and he was on a cane, and he kept trying to go on the beach, and the other the CG didn't want him to do it, no. you know. I mean, he must have been a, a guts-up guy. He had one of these chairs that had three legs coming out of it, and that's what he sat on, and he he was there to sort of give directions to people like ourselves who came ashore and didn't know what to do. Well, he he was at the right spot, you know. Yes, he and was. That's where he always was. He wanted and to be later, in the middle of it. Later in life, my wife and I took a vacation, and we hit some of those spots, and we actually got to that point. Did you? Yeah. There was something about it, the sand piles that I was able to identify. Took a look at that place and thought to myself, "Boy, you're one lucky boy." Well. We're glad you were, yeah. because a lot of people were not. So, But you did your job. I mean, you went and did what had to be done. You you were a forward observer, and then you got wounded in action. I, I don't yeah. think anybody can ask any more than that. Now, you, you were talking about through December of 44. Did you then go somewhere else? Did you go well, to— Well, what they did then is they assigned me a job of working in the mailroom getting letters in and out, and I did that. Believe it or not, I ended up, uh, as the war progressed further into Germany, uh, being stationed in Frankfurt. And we were in one of the uh, main offices of a, a particular metal uh, manufacturer yeah. there, and that's where we stayed. I know exactly which, because I spent... Uh, three years right outside of Frankfurt. Oh, did you? And we used to go to the E.J. Farben building. And I, Farben, that's yeah, it. I think that's where you probably were. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and it's a beautiful building, you know, a big office building now and all that. So Something you might find interesting. When the war finally came to an end, the question was, how are we going to get all these bodies back to the States? And what they did is they developed a point system, and the higher point systems went to this camp. The lesser point went here, and it went down. And uh, the camps were called the cigarette camp. <laughs> they, were, they were the camel, the lucky strike, palm ball. And you went to these different camps, and I happened to go to lucky strike. And when our time came, we got on a an American boat. Okay. And then came back, and we landed in New York. But then you, you went back home to oh, Pennsylvania yeah. then. I, I, went, I went to that camp, and believe it or not, they, uh, <laughs> they gave me a, a pension for the damage done. Huh? It wasn't a big one, but they asked, would yeah. I take it? And I said, sure. Yeah. 
So uh, that happened. So I went back home, and then I was able to pick up my college education. I had one year behind me, but I needed three more. But what they did that was was a godsend. Normally, when you go went to college, you went in the fall and in the spring. Then the summer was open for you to go work. Well, what they did this time, they put a semester in the summer, so you got three semesters a year. Okay. To help get us out of there, to help make up for the time we lost while in the service. Did you get your degree in electrical engineering? Electrical engineering, yeah. And and what did you do then? Well, then I got a job with a company at that time that was known as Bell Telephone Company of Pennsylvania. I doubt if anyone remembers that. That company, along with like companies, was absorbed by AT&T. And the government stepped in and said, uh-uh. You're nothing but a big monopoly. Oh. You've got to shed these companies. And they did. But what ended up, what came out of that was Verizon. Does that sound familiar? It does. And that's where I spent the rest of my life. By the (laughs) way, comes this July, I'll be 98. Well, I'm here to tell you that I'm nowhere near there, but uh, I'm in the 80s, and I hope I have one half (laughs) of the abilities that you do when I I reach your age. I've been lucky so far. Well, Bill, I, I really appreciate you taking time to talk to our friends. So many people are, are interested in, in what happened. They are? And yes, they are. I've been telling people about you, and they are looking forward to hearing your story. So again, I, I want to thank you for all you've done. I mean, you obviously downplay it a little bit, but it took a lot of guts to do what you did, and I want you to know we all appreciate it. And uh, I guess we're going to sign off. Dale, can you help us out? Thanks for listening, and be sure to listen again next week and every week when we'll have another exciting guest.